0: The security clearance process is complicated. Maybe you find yourself applying for a position with the national security community and then finding yourself with questions you don't know how to answer. Maybe you've held an active security clearance for decades and now find yourself wondering if you need to report that DUI or if your bankruptcy will be flagged under the new continuous vetting program. Security clearance policies are changing and it can be hard to keep up Whether you're a security clearance applicant, defense industry hiring manager, or government agency, it's okay to have questions. We have the answers. Welcome to Security Clearance in Security on Federal News Radio. Brought to you by your hosts, Lindy Kaiser of ClearanceJobs.com and Sean Bigley with security clearance law firm, Bigley Ranish.
1: Hi, this is Lindy Kaiser, and welcome to this episode of Security, Clearance, and Security on Federal News Radio. Today, I am joined by Peter Suchu. He is a regular clearance jobs contributor and an author, has written about a variety of cybersecurity topics over the past, oh, a long time for clearance jobs, as well as other news outlets and organizations. On the second half of the episode today, we're going to be talking to Sean Bigley about the always hot topic of marriage tourism and how your unequal love interests can impact your security clearance. In the first half, we wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about cybersecurity considerations for security clearance holders, maybe potentially kind of catfishing schemes or phishing schemes and how those affect security clearance holders. So give us some insight into that and kind of how the cybersecurity topics play out for clearance holders and why that's a topic that you've covered for us so many years at Clearance Jobs.
2: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And it's really good that we're discussing this because I think we're seeing this across the spectrum right now. You know, it's a really unique job market, but we're seeing right now that hackers are taking advantage of that. So they've become much more savvy in how they're posting fake job listings. And we saw this recently. Uh, There was a report I did earlier this month on how it was impacting those that thought they were applying to Lockheed Martin. In the past, it had been Northrop Grumman even BAE systems, all with similar schemes. And and really the way this kind of worked was these people were creating fake listings that would take you to a very convincing looking website. And even those that did their due diligence and thought this, they were applying to the actual company, sometimes found out they weren't. Really what it was is it's uh, manipulating some of the... Um, technology behind this. So it wasn't just a matter of getting people to send in a resume or something like that. It was actually using what's called living off the land binaries, which are essentially some of the code that exists in the background on the various operating systems. And the cyber criminals are exploiting that to basically camouflage their malicious activity.
1: Yeah. And it's worth noting that you can even have a current security clearance holder who can be duped by some of this stuff. we seen that certainly with, you know, fake LinkedIn profiles out there, the amount of information people post, people kind of tend to share a lot of information. So what are maybe things that security clearance holders should look out for when they see some of these online job listings?
2: Well, I think the thing to do is do the due diligence you would do anytime. If you spot this and you're contacted for an interview and it's not in person, make sure it's through a secure video call. If it's uh, conducted via a, a teleconference, make sure that that person is sending you their email address and the address actually looks like something from that company instead of a phone number. So, I mean, if you're looking to work at Lockheed Martin, for example, and the recruiter doesn't have a Lockheed Martin email address, that that should be a big red flag. you know. Even if they claim to be a third-party recruiter, I don't think third-party recruiters that work for any kind of reputable firm are going to use a Hotmail email address, for example. Um, they're certainly not going to use a, an email address that's .ru for Russia or .ch from China. So those should be those kind of warning signals. But you should also make sure that emails, like I said, are coming from email domains and email addresses that are appropriate to the company. And you know some of the other red flags are making sure that you're not told you have to purchase any equipment to take this job and you'll be in reimbursed later, but they'll sell you the equipment. Make sure you don't have to pay for anything upfront, such as background investigations or screenings. An employer is never going to ask you for credit card information. There's no reason why any reputable employer is going to say, hey, we need your credit card number for this until we issue you a card. It's no different than the way that I've been warning people right now as we're in tax season. The IRS is not going to call you and tell you you owe taxes, so go get a Walmart gift card. That's never, ever (laughs) going to happen.
1: That is good. That is good advice to remember. We talk a lot about like dual factor authentication just in terms of even getting into websites and access and things like that. I think there's a kind of like the dual check process of if you see a link or you see a job opportunity, not just necessarily clicking that link or looking that Uh, but doing some, some research. So going, going, you know, you see a job listing, you know, on a public facing website, maybe for something, going back to that company website and seeing if it's there. And, you know, depending on how, I mean, there's a huge hidden job market right now. So there might not necessarily be a one-to-one correlation, but you should be able to do research, find a contact with the company, find their own hiring job page and, you know, submit information there and not be scrolling away a lot of your personal details to, somebody's hotmail.
2: One thing I would also recommend is anytime you think it could be a scam, the thing I would immediately do is uh, do some searches and find out if there are scams ongoing. Because that's one of the things that I find surprising that more people don't do is when we're seeing, again, whether it's a tax season scam or a job scam or something like this, You're not going to be the first person in most cases that's been contacted. And so just do a quick Google search and see if that scam is going around. And sure enough, you know, you do a little bit of digging and uh, you can find out that there's other people talking about this. So that's something I always recommend.
1: Yeah, and definitely just doing some research, digging around. And you know, depending on, I know it's a kind of a, it's an awkward topic, but there's security officers exist for a reason. And the current job market now, a lot of our clear talent is already employed. And so if you are getting a lot of spammy or, you know, odd requests, you know, you can certainly report those to your security officer. Because like you said, there might be an investigation out there It might be something that some, you know, an organization like the FBI needs to know about. So putting it through your official security channels as a security clearance holder that, you know, the, there are these things coming up or who's reaching out, you know, are people contacting you at your official email account or your own work email account with some of these things? Because it might not be just about you and getting your resume and personal information, but it's probably, you know, the bigger picture trying to get access into your company or agency.
2: Right, right. And another thing I would recommend is if you think it it could be suspect. Try to get on the phone with somebody because, again, a recruiter is somebody who—that's what they do every day. They're recruiting people. They'll be able to answer questions. You know, ask some real detailed questions. What—what what does this position entail? If the recruiter can't explain what you're going to be doing at this defense contractor or this agency or this company, if they can't explain what the job's about, then it's probably a scam.
1: Well, I also want to talk to you. You published an article just this week on the Clearance Jobs news site about the state of bring your own devices in 2022.
2: I'm somebody that doesn't do a lot of apps on my phone and, you know, might be odd as somebody who covers technology as much as I do, but I like to keep my work devices separate from my personal devices. And I've, I've discovered over the years that it's the best thing to do. There was one time I was using Skype on a laptop. A friend sent me a link. He didn't realize it, but the link basically launched malware on my laptop. Well, because my laptop that I use for communication, basically it's for things like this. It's for Skype and doing podcasts and things like that. I won't lose any of my articles. I won't lose any of my spreadsheets. I won't lose anything if this laptop suddenly explodes today. And so that's why I've always been really cautious about the bring your own devices. You download a game or something on the app store. Depending on where that came from, I don't know what kind of code that could bring to my device. And I I worry about that a lot, to be honest.
1: We'll have to see where the cases go, but I predicted misuse of IT systems is one of the adjudicative guidelines that can result in clearance, denial, or revocation. And this massive push for everyone working from home with the start of the pandemic, we were trying to issue devices, get devices that could work in a remote setting very quickly. You know, people should at this point kind of have an understanding of what they should and shouldn't or can and can't do on the workplace device. But I, as someone who has worked remotely for the past 11 years, this is like a pot call in the kettle black situation for me me, Peter, because we trade a lot of privacy for convenience. And so that convenience of, hey, I'm on my workplace device, I need to write a white paper, or I'm multitasking, checking my email and doing you know something else, we end up grouping those two things together. And I think the line gets a little blurry of what is misuse of an IT system. And I think we're going to see more denials and revocations because like you said, you got to be careful what links you're clicking because especially if you work for the government and the government is tracking what's going on in that device and assume that your private sector company is as well, maybe speak to that piece. Do you think people understand how much their employer is monitoring in these BYOD situations?
2: I think uh, a lot more maybe than we would like to admit. I think you're basically handing over to somebody in the IT department and it may not even just be the company. That's the other thing that we have to be cautious of. I don't want to speak ill of any IT guys out there, but all it would take is one going rogue and deciding, hey, you know, maybe I can watch what my employees are doing, whether it's for entertainment purposes, but it could be for more nefarious purposes. I I think we could see a lot more of that. I can also see why in the private sector, especially some smaller businesses might encourage it. As uh, Rob Enderley, the technology analyst I quoted in the article had said, bring your own devices can lower capital costs. So if you're an employer and you don't have to give all of your employees an iPhone or an Android phone and you let them use your device, that's really good for the business. It's not always so good for you. You know, as a freelance reporter, I mean, there were times where sometimes I wish, uh, you know, I'm saying this to one of my editors, but there were times I wish my editors didn't have my phone number. You know, you get those calls Friday night as they're going to print. Oh, we got a couple of questions. Can you try to contact the source? It's Friday at nine o'clock.
1: That's an issue that's come up too with the issuing of these devices. I know there have been some pushback, especially overseas. I don't know if it's the American way, but kind of creating a free zone where your employer can't contact you outside of traditional work hours. When it is your work coming into your personal device, it's really hard to create those boundaries and, and barriers. You certainly can. You can adjust your notifications or change settings. I don't know that that's kind of our default thinking. Are there also potential security issues that have come up in your writing and research around this mix? I mean, you mentioned the, you know, being careful what links you click on and things like that. Are there other examples?
2: Well, again, I think it's the clicking the link, opening the wrong email, downloading the wrong software. I mean, one of the things we've certainly seen is I think Apple and Google do a pretty good job vetting the apps that are on their respective services. But we've seen that there's third party app stores and people are downloading apps from there. It's real easy to make an app. It's real easy to put it up on a third-party app store. That's one of the reasons I I don't do apps. I guess I I have a little bit of that paranoia there that uh, I don't always feel I need to do these things through it. You know, sometimes it it makes my life a little more difficult. I can't do another bid on my phone on eBay. And maybe that sounds a little bit crazy that I got to actually go to my computer, but I make sure that that's through one spot, that, that I'm not doing all of this stuff. I think people just become a lot more careless using their devices. And as a reporter who's covered this for so long, I mean, the stories I could tell, I mean, I used to travel a lot. And I would be coming home from trade shows like the Consumer Electronics Show. And the story I always tell is I had upgraded because it had been a long show and I used miles. So I'm sitting at the front of the plane and this guy comes in and he's talking way too loud on his phone and he sits down next to me and he's basically explaining to the other side a whole bunch of stuff that as a reporter, I would probably have to sign an NDA to hear. And the conversation concludes with, we better not leak any of this to the media because this really could affect our stock price. That's just something we don't think about. I think people have learned you don't open an email on your desktop. You you're careful what links you click. For some reason, that goes out the window when you're on your phone. I just I I, we just haven't been trained for it.
1: When your article mentions TikTok, I think the apps you know like it's not a shouldn't be a surprise that a lot of the apps have foreign origins and. Do potentially pose national security implications. We had—I I can't remember if it was you or someone else—who wrote about the face app, you know, issue a few years ago, where people are taking, you know, uploading pictures of their face, yeah. and, you know. And then we have the deep fakes issue. I know you've written about that one for us, where you find a photo on the internet doesn't even mean that it's accurate or correct. So really, just you know, there's a lot of potential for issues out there.
2: We hope that technology is going to make our life better, that it's going to make our life more secure, and I think in many ways, technology has been great. The problem is all of the issues that come with it. We don't look at the downside of any of this, especially as Americans. We look at the benefits and we're not as cautious about the downsides.
1: The, you know, the main takeaway is that if you have a you know security clearance, if you work in the national security space, again, for employers, don't just assume your your employees are are paying attention to this stuff, provide information. If you're if you're out there, do your research, and just research sites like Clearance Jobs where we're providing information with this because there are a lot of risks out there and a lot of considerations. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for your time.
2: Great, thank you so much.
3: Attorney advertisement, not a guarantee or warranty of results. I'm attorney Sean Bigley. The denial or revocation of your security clearance is a devastating blow, but effective legal representation can make a difference. Contact my team at Bigley Ranish LLP for a free case evaluation. Find us online at BigleyLaw.com. Federal security clearances are all we do. Welcome back to Security Clearance Insecurity. Security. I am your co-host, attorney Sean Bigley, and I'm back with Lindy Kaiser from ClearanceJobs.com. Lindy, we're talking about marriage tourism for this segment, which is an interesting topic and one that comes up with surprising frequency on the discussion boards and the blogs at clearancejobs.com. I guess I should start out by asking you, do you know anybody, have you encountered anybody who's had this in their personal life?
1: <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that, and I don't know if I'm allowed to answer. <laughs> I, so I come from a government background, a brief and illustrious, infamous career in government perhaps. I actually know a couple people that I I'm I suspected very highly of having mail order brides. I'm not joking, Sean. So you might know this from a legal perspective. <laughs> I have friends, perhaps, or people that I would that I used to work with, and there was just something that did not match with their spouse. And I'm telling you, and it's I think maybe because I had a military background. Certainly, people um, deployment environments, but also some folks on the civilian side who married foreign nationals. And it it did not it did not it did not seem like an equal match as I would say. So yes, I actually think this is real and I was always shocked that it wasn't more of a security issue because on the other side of it, I actually know friends who have legitimately fallen in love with people who are foreign nationals or, or who lived abroad and have had huge issues with being able to maintain or keep their clearance eligibility for that reason. So I feel like so for me, there's a bit of a disconnect. So yeah, what is your legal angle on this? Because I feel like there's a lot of ambiguity here.
3: Obviously, we should point out part of this discussion that obviously there are plenty of people who marry foreign nationals and there are perfectly legitimate marriages. So of course, we're not suggesting that, you know, any time that somebody marries a foreign national, that there's something nefarious or wrong with that. But there are also a number of folks out there who engage in marriage for, I guess I would say, ulterior motives whether that be visa fraud or you know some other financial reason or simply because it's something that they've gotten themselves tangled up with and it's something you know pertaining to for example sex trafficking you know we've seen the whole gamut here in terms of these types of issues and the common denominator with the ones that raise the government's suspicions in my experience is that there really seems to be uh, as you said a kind of a disconnect between the spouses and You know, I think joking aside, of course, there are cases where, you know, maybe opposites attract or people, you know, who you wouldn't normally picture being together, wind up together again for perfectly legitimate reasons. But there are other cases, for example, you have somebody who's three, four decades older than their spouse, and that's going to raise some questions. So I think what I would say in my experience is that we often see these cases come up where somebody has met and then subsequently married their spouse in a very, very short period of time. In other words, they married a foreign national and during the course of the background investigation for their security clearance, the government starts asking questions about how they met and it comes out that they met their spouse in January of whatever year. And by March, <laughs> they were already walking to the altar. And that's, you know, it's not completely uh, unheard of, but it's also a little bit suspect.
1: So you're saying if you have a federal security clearance, you should not apply to be on 90 day fiance. Not that I would watch that type of programming, but that's a good point. Like timing does matter in terms of, so if you're rushing to the altar and specifically to the altar, I think that might be maybe a a slower courtship would be more recommended if you're marrying someone from abroad. I don't know what the, what the, I actually don't know what the best advice is there.
3: There's no real hard and fast rules here per se, but there are a few things that I always recommend folks look out for. So first of all, don't think that whatever it is that you're doing isn't something that a whole bunch of people have tried before. It's very rare. We see something that we've never seen previously, and I would imagine it's the same for our counterparts on the government side. So if you think you're going to kind of pull a fast one, odds are that's not going to be the case. There are some countries in particular that really stand out in terms of this issue. And historically, those have been Russia and Ukraine, the Philippines. And certain parts of Asia, specifically Thailand and uh, sometimes Vietnam. We've seen a number of cases over the years where folks have you know, married somebody from those places and they've gotten themselves in trouble with security officials, not because they said, oh, you know, this marriage is fraudulent per se, but because of the, the foreign influence risks that it's raised um, with you know, spouses. Uh, parents or uh, other relatives that they've left behind or financial ties that have not been severed, things like that. Now, there are also fraudulent marriages too. I mean, we've seen cases over the years where it's just clear visa fraud or, or something else. Those are very difficult to defend. We've also seen cases where folks have married somebody without legal status in the United States. Those can also be challenging to defend. But on the the quote-unquote marriage tourism front. There are a lot of websites online that are, you know, pretty clear in what they're advertising. Go abroad, find a bride. You know, the women aren't exactly picky, from what we can gather. You know, besides being careful about uh, destination countries, the other thing that we often recommend to folks is really think long and hard about whether this is something that is worth the risk, because. At the end of the day there are legitimate operators out there that are doing these sorts of tours i'm sure but at the same time there are a lot that are engaged in trafficking uh, of women and other less than legal practices by u.s standards and so it's it it taints those those situations taint a lot of the other maybe more legitimate situations and so you really have to be careful if this is something you're thinking about doing of understanding, you know, what the perception is going to be and thinking about, you know, is this really, you know, worth the risk and if it is, what can I do to bring that risk down? And one of the biggest things is have a candid conversation with your agency or your security official before you ever go do anything like this and see if you can get some buy-in and some sort of parameters about what they'll be comfortable with. It's not necessarily a total cure, but it is a somewhat preventative measure and it can help if you know there's uh, clear evidence that you were seeking guidance beforehand.
1: I have a vested interest in growing the clear talent pool. I mean, it's a major issue for us. We simply don't have enough people with clearances to fill the open positions. When it gets to a topic about this, I, I tend to have sort of a visceral reaction and say, if marriage tourism is something that you're interested in, probably a national security career should not be. I think do you are held to a higher standard of reliability and trustworthiness I get my feathers ruffled a little bit because I do think there's a huge human trafficking aspect of it, again, with a lot of the countries that are involved. And so if what these websites that are really trading in kind of on the vulnerable I think even the online dating aspect of it's it's reaching a you know a vulnerable foreign population that's probably not the population you as a clearance holder so there's two sides of it for me like the the vulnerability the human trafficking and then also just knowing like honeypot sextortion those are real problems still today that's not like you know tied up in 20 years ago fables from the americans there's certainly still countries that are using those tactics today
3: Oh, absolutely. And from a philosophical standpoint, I certainly agree with you on, you know, the issues of human trafficking and things like that. I mean, I can tell you we have seen cases over the years where, at least from outward perception, and I realize this may not be everything, but it's looked like a, a fairly legitimate relationship. And so, you know, I hesitate to paint everybody with the same brush who goes overseas and and meets somebody. I mean, I think there are legitimate cases out there of people who just, for whatever reason, haven't had luck meeting a spouse in the United States. And this is an opportunity that that they take. That being said, I mean, I, I agree that probably the majority of these situations are not good and not on the up and up. And so again, if, if you are pursuing this or you're thinking about pursuing this, and you're trying to do it above board... You're trying to seek out a meaningful relationship with somebody um, abroad for whatever reason, uh, and people, you know, have different reasons. Um, you know, just be aware of appearances and be careful that you know you're not getting yourself into something that somebody might look at and say, you know, this is clear human trafficking, or this is a situation where there's power dynamics at play that raise questions about whether the the other party is uh, doing this of their own free will. That's obviously a big issue, but. You know, one other thing I want to mention here also, there have been some issues recently, and, and we've seen this come up in a couple of cases over the last couple of years with folks, clearance holders, who have gone on dating websites seeking US based romantic partners and then wound up finding somebody that they were interested in, messaging them, and starting up a conversation only to subsequently realize that they were, in fact, not talking with someone in the U.S., but somebody in Ukraine or elsewhere overseas. So those types of situations happen as well. Obviously, that's a lot different than going overseas, specifically in search of a bride, just to kind of cover all of our bases here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. I, uh, yeah, I think just knowing that your significant others matter. And we've seen that come up. Like there's a reason, you know, ask that question, why do I have to list, you know, spouse or cohabitant information on a, a security clearance? And depending on the level you're going for, like, yeah, that person may not be an issue if you're at a confidential or a secret level. But certainly if you're planning on doing work at the top secret clearance level, it starts to become an issue who your significant others are. And if they are a significant person in your life, that is a security risk. And We've seen that borne out. Like people have compromised classified information due to, these types of relationships.
3: Absolutely. And it's it's not just the spouse, but it's the spouse's relatives too. And so, you know, that's probably the biggest issue for a lot of our clients who wind up marrying a foreign national is perhaps the foreign national isn't really the risk, but you know, they have mom and dad who are still living in China, for example. And that's a big problem.
1: For me, it's just recognizing that these types of risks definitely still happen. There's a reason that the whole honeypot sextortion scam is alive and well on that kind of foreign nationals are looking at these sites. So you kind of mentioned like being aware of online dating profiles and who you're connecting with because those people aren't always who they appear to be.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the bottom line here is I think for most people, meeting somebody who they subsequently fall in love with and decide they want to spend the rest of their life with, if that's legitimate, then that's probably going to trump a job opportunity that may be lost because of something like this. But on the other hand, for many people with a clearance, that is their livelihood and that's their career. And so you have to weigh the pros and cons and you have to weigh the risks. And if this is something that you're considering pursuing, you just really have to use common sense and good judgment like anything else in the security clearance world. If it looks bad, if it doesn't smell right, if it looks like, you know, either illegal conduct or anything potentially nefarious, it's just gonna be a a big headache. So you you really wanna think carefully before you go down that road.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity. Please note the information provided on this program is intended as general information only and should not be construed as legal advice. Consult a security clearance attorney regarding your specific situation. Have a question about security clearance process? Interested in submitting your own topic for security clearance insecurity? Have a question you'd like us to address on a future episode? Drop us an email, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for tuning in to Security Clearance and Security with your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley of security clearance law firm Bigley Ranish. Join us next time as we continue to answer all the questions about security clearance careers you have, but we're too afraid to ask your security manager.